0: Well, let's begin with a word of prayer, since we all need it. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day, and we thank You for Your Word and allowing us to study it and understand what it means to be a Christian in terms of, like, in terms of the Lord's Prayer and what that teaches us about our relationship with You and, and the things that we do in life in order to become more and more like You, and learning to think the thoughts that You think and desire the things that You desire and love the things that You love. And it's in your son's name that we ask these things, Amen. So, so this week we'll be discussing the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. We did the introduction a couple weeks ago, and now we'll be looking at two different parts of it. the The part that goes describes our Father and who art in heaven, um, and and really this. Section just from the get go shows the nature of Christian prayer and how different it is from all other religions and how different it is from any other kind of prayer that exists out there. And this shows us how odd and strange it is, which is why we need to constantly be, which is why the Lord tells us to recite it so often. Um, Now, some people, as we're going to see, are offended. That we are taught to address God as Father. And the great offense can begin with this, this, the word our. Uh, in this prayer, we're taught not to pray as individuals, but as the church. A lot of people think prayer is this individualistic thing that we're doing that really is just about me and Jesus. But at the end of the day, this is about actually praying as the church praying as a saved community who are in friendship with God. But when we say our, we're not being possessive. We're not saying this is our God as if He were our property. I think many people have a lot of grief attempting to domesticate God as their cheerleader or as for the American way of life or as like, their cosmic bellhop or Federal Express that's just going to deliver their Amazon purchases whenever they want it. When we say our, we're having this astounding recognition that this God, the one who created the universe and who flung all the planets together, the great God of heaven and earth, has desired and willed to become our God. Before we reached out to God, God reached out to us and He claimed us. He promised to be our God and He promises to make us His people. So, this is not because of anything that we have done, rather because of what God has done for us in Christ that we can say our Father. And it was on a similar note that this metaphor for how we relate to God is ultimately about intimacy, is ultimately about how this transcendent God hes not our biological father, as we'll talk about, but it's a metaphor for how we relate to him. It's a description of how we come to know him in terms of intimacy. Thomas Aquinas says that there's no greater purpose than this main purpose of friendship with God. This is the purpose of the Christian religion. And I think it's hard for Americans to understand this because we're on the one hand tempted to make religion and Christianity about all of our subjective feelings and experience. And so God is just what we use to get those feelings. Or on the other hand, we make it all about these objective facts, that things that we have to know. And both of those things aren't Friendship. Both of those things aren't radically dealing with someone who's different. I mean, could you imagine dealing with your spouse or your children as if it was about like just knowing a bunch of facts about them rather than knowing them? Like, oh, I know that you have brown hair and blue eyes, and that means I know you. It's like, no, that's ridiculous. No one would relate to their friends or their spouses or anyone in the world like that. Or, on the other hand, like oh, I'm just in this relationship because of how you make me feel. No, like when you're radically confronted with someone who's different from you, you have to know them on their own terms and be willing to be corrected by them and understand them because they're giving themselves to you. Whether it's, it's, it's friends or spouse or as children, you, you can't know them in any other way. And the same thing is true with God. God is this radically different person, three persons who are God. And the only way that we can know Him is of Him coming to us and willing and deciding to become our God. And so the purpose of this prayer is, is, is growing intimacy with God. And this is really the only means, the only fruitful means of discipleship. All the things that we do in church, all the reasons we say this prayer is to grow in that knowledge, that intimacy, that love, that that sacred friendship with God. And the habit that this prayer forms in us can be acquired only through friendship with others that makes our possible this friendship with God. So that's why it's a very communal thing. It's, It's never about just me and Jesus. This is very much an external thing coming in, crashing in on my world and changing me from the outside in. Um, Jesus was criticized for this very purpose is that he was hanging out with people and becoming friends. Uh, And he was even accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. He was a friend of them. Jesus called his disciples friends. It says no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for one's friends which is what he ends up doing. He says you are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant doesn't know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I've heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I choose you, and I appointed you to go bear fruit. So Jesus directly connects our capacity to bear good fruit and to have good works and to love, and to love him with our friendship with him. We cannot we cannot become like Jesus unless we are communing with Jesus. And I think that's like something that we radically hello, we radically don't understand is that our Union with Christ is something; it's an objective thing that Christ has, has accomplished. But we're called in this prayer to develop our communion with Him. That is this intimacy in prayer, that good works actually come from um, this deep connection that, that that God is our friend, and we thus become friends with God, and therefore we bear fruit. Um, we become like Jesus by becoming closer to him in communion with him and I think this is this is a critical thing for understanding this prayer is that ultimately at the end of the day our discipleship is about friendship with God and with each other it's this sacred thing that it's like it's, this is like this prayer is like spending all hours of the night with your besties and just pouring your heart out to them and you're and you're having this intimate relationship with with God and that's what God is calling us to where you're entering into each other's burdens and cares and it's from that that we actually bear fruit Jesus says and so Jesus comes and he begins this relationship with us he doesn't this is not our idea this is Jesus's idea that Jesus comes and and he dies for us to bring us into this sacred friendship with God. Um, and Jesus says, I do not long, no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And so the Master transforms us from servants who don't know what, his, what the Master's thinking, and who just go about and they just don't even know, and they, and they just have to like wait for his command. And He transforms us into friends who know the gracious will of God. And He reveals Himself to us like that intimate friend staying up all night with us. And so what the Father has told the Son, the Son makes known to us and therefore transforms us into friends of God. That's what discipleship really at the end of the day is all about. It's this sacred friendship with God and each other that God has started. Um, So our relationship with God is that we can boldly come to Him and say our Father because God has chosen us, because Jesus has laid down His life for us, because of this choice of God to become our Father. And that's what the church really means when we talk about grace, that that it's this great gift that connects us with Jesus and God. Um, We oftentimes can take, we think about this thing of salvation, and we can abstract this thing and think of that salvation is the point of everything. We can think that salvation is the point of this whole thing, where in reality, that's just the means that God is bringing us into a relationship with him. It's the means of intimacy with Him. So salvation is merely God giving us Himself in this friendship. And that, at the end of the day, is what this whole thing is about. And I think it's really hard in our culture when we're taught to believe that you know everything that's important is earned or achieved or worked for or even deserved. Um that this whole understanding that we have to relate to God in this way through this gift be- can become, become radically offensive. To be a Christian is to, be a, to benefit from 2,000 years of inheritance of this tradition which none of us have paid for or earned or deserved. And our baptism reminds us of that, that we've been adopted, that it's something that's happened to us. That we've been washed. It's not something that we've done, but we have been called, we who are not God's people have been called God's people. And so, Jesus, this relationship with Jesus is not our idea. It's not something we've chosen because we think, because we've come to this great conclusion, because we're so smart. Like, this is not our idea. This whole religion is something that we would never have chosen for ourselves. And Jesus had this idea before it ever became ours. And the only way that actually became something that we can say, we can say our Father, is because Jesus has radically intruded in our lives. We don't take Jesus anywhere. He takes us places. You know, many people talk about having a personal relationship with Christ. And we're right that it is very personal and that's intimate. But it's not private. And that's another thing that our is saying is that we're all in this together. It's a very public faith. This is why we say it on Sunday out loud. Because it's a public thing that we're doing together. It's not something that we don't say, my father. There's a real reason why we don't say that. We say our Father. And I think there's great comfort here because even though you don't always feel like a Christian, even though you don't always act like a Christian, much less believe like a Christian, God is saying that your relationship as a friend is not based on what you felt, have done, or believed. Rather, we're friends with God because of His choice in Jesus through the means of the church. That's why all Christians have always said throughout history that there is no salvation outside of the church. This is the tool, the means of grace that God is using to bring men, women, and children into friendship with God. Yes, God can work outside of the church, not only the institution and and, and us as individuals, as people of the church, but He has ordained these specific means to be His hands and feet, His tools to bring people into friendship with Him through baptism, the Lord's Supper, preaching and prayer, and the sacram- these sacraments. God is using these very things, these mysteries, to show us His heart and to make us His friends. And so you are a Christian because we can pray these words out loud in public uh, whether you feel like it or at the moment or not. And so Christians, we don't need to anxiously scan our inner thoughts whether or not we, we don't have to relentlessly examine our every deed or misdeed. We can close our eyes and earnestly attempt to pray this because God has given it to us as a gift. Just like our relationship with Him, we can truly become what we pray even if we don't feel like it. We don't have to believe ten absurd propositions before lunch. It's not about believing these facts. Yes, doctrines and and, and facts are part of that, but it's, it's much more about Letting ourselves go. Letting go of control. You know, when it when it's all about our feelings, when it's all about how we feel about things, and what we think, those are all just means in this world for us to try to control God. God is inside this box of facts, and therefore we have Him figured out. And that's how we, even as Reformed people, try to figure out God and and accept Him on our terms. Okay, God, He's in this box. This is the right terms. This is the right words. And therefore, we have it figured out. But God is more wild than that. Just like you can't figure out your spouse or your children by facts. But it's an intimate knowing. It's that constant giving of yourselves away. It's the same way that Jesus is giving Himself away in death, giving Himself to us through this prayer. And that actually is a great comfort because it's not about us at the end of the day. We don't have to feel all the good feelings in order to pray. We can give ourselves away to God in this prayer and rest in that. Does that make sense? We don't have to always act, or even believe like a Christian, to have this relationship with God okay. Um, This journey is not a test to see if we can make the grade with God and be good enough to be His friends. No, the journey begins with God in Christ calling us friends, inviting us to go on this journey because God wants us on this journey. And that whole understanding is exactly why we pray this prayer. We can give ourselves over to God in it, because it's not about us. We're helpless, dependent, sinful things who don't believe the right things, who don't feel the right things all the time. But this is all God's idea, which is why God baptizes us as babies or God baptizes us in life because we are helpless. He's he's giving all these pictures to show us how helpless we are and that we don't have to have everything figured out. And that's why we hold out our empty hands when we take the Lord's Supper to demonstrate our real need, our hunger and emptiness for God. And so we don't have to have everything figured out to get to this moment where we feel like Christians to pray. We don't have to act and believe all these right things before we pray. We can, we can let go and give ourselves over to God because He's figured this all out for us. He's called us friends, therefore we can bear fruit. He's called us His disciples, therefore we can pray this prayer. And we can say our, our Father, praying it in the plural, with the church, with the tradition that's been handed down to us, resting in that. Um, And that's why this religion, this Christianity, is very much a public thing that we're doing together, that God is intruding on our lives from the outside in. This isn't a religion where you go on these quiet walks in the woods sitting quietly in the library by yourself with a book rummaging into the psyche of your mind to have inner peace. Christianity is not one of those religions. Christianity is this inherently communal as we were saying before it's friendship with God and each other. Um, It's happening in a body in the church. And Jesus is not calling us to be isolated individuals to follow Him. He calls us as disciples in this great crowd, and this great throng of witnesses. And even if we think about how how we got called as disciples ourselves, all in that pronoun our, this isn't something that we thought of by ourselves. Like we were staring up at the sun one day, and we're like, oh, Jesus died for me. Um, Walking in this field... You know, overcome with that. No, it's because most of us were friends with other Christians. Uh, someone had to tell you the story. Someone had to tell you, someone had to live in such a way that their faith shone. And you're like, I want to know more about this. This person is visibly different. This story is visibly different. And I want to be a part of that. Um, someone had to, in some sense, walk the walk and talk the talk, that they showed that they had entered into this friendship with God through Jesus, and they told you the story that started changing them. Um, Maybe it was a believing parent, or someone you met at school, or at work, or by reading the Bible. This is all a communal thing that's not an accident. Every time you say, our Father, we're naming that we're saved in a group. We're saved praying together, connecting with one another, forgiving one another, stumbling along with Jesus together, memorizing, in some sense, the dance moves of the, of the faith until they become ours by habit and just become how we react in the world. Um, and that's why we're saying that Christianity, this, this prayer is telling us that Christianity is primarily the sacred friendship with God and each other. As Christians, we believe that our, our friends in the faith extend not only to those who, who are about us in the present, but it's also the whole communion of saints. This great community that has gone before us. And so you're never alone in the church. Every time we gather together to pray, the saints are praying with us in heaven. As we're leaning on the ramparts of and we're joining their voices when we pray this. All our praises are going up to God. And they've already gone before us and they're cheering us along in the struggle, which is what the author of the Hebrews is saying. We've, we've come to this great assembly of this, these Christians who have gone before us. Jesus is there. All these angels and myriad gathering. And so when we pray this prayer together, they're all, they've all crossed the finish line and they're saying, come on, it's just a little further You can do this. Um, Another thing that this, this means when we say our Father is that it's first and foremost, as we've said about our relationship, Jesus has first to God and then to us. So God is called Father because we come to know Jesus as the Son. So Father and Son in this way have been taught to us to show us about the inner relationship of God himself. Um, when we think about fatherhood, we instantly go to f- understanding of family. We instantly go to this most intimate relationship we have on Earth, and that's God is telling us that that, that is something like the relationship God has had from eternity. And we come into that very intimate friendship through the Son. Through the Son who is revealing the Father to us. If you go through the Bible and you just go through and list and look at all the different metaphors and images that we have of God, they're all, all of them are depicting an intimate relationship. It's not this objective, fact-filled God who's a king who's just, just like so distant from us who we can't relate to. Whether it's God as our shepherd, whether it's God as Father, as Son, and, and a Comforter, all of these things. as Even the idea of God as Lord in the Old Testament is taken from the ancient world understanding of this good father-king who's the shepherd of His people, who's bending down and taking care of His, his flock. So even the uh, even the majestic visions that we have of God, all of these metaphors are intimate. All of these metaphors are one of God's ultimately saying, I want to be your friend. And, and that's what we have through Jesus. Our Father isn't merely just describing God as our Creator, um, but it's showing us our continual need and mediation of, of the Son. So this, this phrase our Father is telling us that we are coming to Jesus through the Son. It's describing what we mean by when we say God. That God is not some, just this basket term that we have that's just filled with all these Thoughts that we kind of come up with. Um, It's not this mystery that we kind of just come to, as we say, like going through the fields and just being overcome by the majesty of creation or going to the Grand Canyon. Um, Those things are really important. And seeing God's majesty, but it has a specific name. We have an address to God and it's through the Son in the Father. God has a face and has a name in the Trinity. And we would not have come to know this God without Jesus coming down and dying for us and making us His friends. We would have gone our merry way assembling our own false gods, quite content to name this word God as money or self-esteem, or whatever happens to be at the market, entertainment, or sexual freedom, or consumerism. It could be war, being in the military, or medicine, or the government. Whatever it is, we would not have known this God naturally if Jesus had not intruded in our lives. Um, And this is what we say when we say Our Father, that God has a specific name. And it's telling us that, that Jesus... Is reaching down to us and teaching us to pray in this way to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus can teach us to name God and come into this relationship to God because Jesus is God. We're told in Galatians 4 that because you are children, God has sent his, the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer slaves, but a child. And if a child, then an heir through God. And so therefore, we can address God as our Father because it's our relationship to Him. Now when we say this this term, Father, it's not thinking biologically. We're not thinking of our biological fathers. Rather, we're saying that in many ways, all fatherhood is relativized, is brought under the standard of learning that God alone is our true Father. Um, we don't call God our Father because we've had positive experiences with our biological Father. And therefore, we can project those things on to God. Rather, all human fatherhood is measured and judged and falls short Base, on the basis of our experience of God as our Father. And so when we come to this, we don't have to bring that baggage to praying to Him. Because this saying, our God is, is our Father, all fatherhood in this world is brought under that and in some sense judged by that. And to pray to God as Father challenges all the status quo of fatherhood we see around us, even, even in the church. Um, we're see, we see our limitations and our sins and our folly as, as human families. Um, and so we're, we're praying in a decisive way, showing how we are utterly dependent on God for life and breath and all things. Just as biological fathers have brought us into this world we're saying that even more, we're utterly dependent on our Heavenly Father who has taught us to pray in this way. Which is why Jesus Himself says that call no one your Father on earth, for you have one Father, the one Father in heaven. He's not saying we don't call our fathers fathers. He's saying that ultimately, all fatherhood is based on Him. is based on God as our Father who we are utterly dependent on for life and happiness and all things. Um, So this prayer constantly is that reminder that teaches us to look beyond our own individual families, our biological families, and see that our families, through our baptism, that this family is the most ultimate family in which all families, nations, races, and cultures, the church, have been called to be a part of. Which is why like, we can go to other countries and other places that are all around this country and have that intimate bond with other Christians instantly. We can, we can see them and we just know, we can call them sister or brother. And we just have that intimate bond because we know we have the same Savior. Because you say, our Father. And so we can say, we can know that we have this integral way of being Christians that is defined by God as being called by our Father. That is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that has a name. And it's through this, through the Son's work to make us His friends, as we read in in John, that He no longer calls us just disciples, but he has called us friends, that we can call God our Father, that we can name and declare him before the world, that this relationship is is ultimately what the universe is about. Like everything that we're doing on Sunday is declaring to the world, the whole world, that nothing, there's no beetle, no, no bullfinch. No believer, no non-believer, no flower that exists in this world in isolation from this triune God. And that He is moving everything towards this relationship with Him. And so when we gather to church on, together on church on Sunday and pray this prayer, we're saying that the God who created us has come to us in Jesus of Nazareth and He's forever seeking us out in the Holy Spirit. He didn't just do this once when He walked this earth 2,000 years ago. We pray our Father because we're constantly being enticed by God towards Him because He knows that we're restless until our lives rest in Him. And we're given this prayer to pray because even when we don't know how to pray, we don't know what to say to God, God Himself is helping us. The Spirit, as Paul said, helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with us with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So we're given this prayer because we don't know how to pray as Christians. And when it comes down to it, we often don't know how to live, act, or believe, or feel. And fortunately fortunately for us, um, what we know and how we feel is not the point. The point is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit God has searched us out and known us and has helped us in our weaknesses and interceded for us even when we thought we were starting to pray. Therefore, we can be bold to say our Father. And so in conclusion, with that point, we really see that we can pray this prayer because God has has become so intimate to us. God has declared us friends before we even had the idea of friendship with Him. Any thoughts or questions before we move on to the next next point? Oh yeah, go for it. Just to clarify, you said something to the effect of like we memorized the dance moves. Yes. Yes. Uh, so are, are we saying that we act our, our way into right thinking? In that? Is that what you're Yes. Thinking? Yeah, in many ways, we, there are many things in the Christian faith that we can't even know or understand unless we just start walking. Right. There's, there's, we oftentimes think that ideas have consequences, which sometimes they do, but more often than not, we have to start doing something to actually be able to let go and actually think and believe for the first time. Like when you're driving a car for the first time, you're constantly thinking about the mechanics of it. And then all of a sudden it becomes second nature, and you can actually start thinking about driving well for the first time. If you're constantly thinking, like if you're driving a stick, having to shift all the time, you're you're not as aware about your surroundings as you could be. But when those things become second nature, that's actually when you start becoming a good driver. And in many ways, God is saying, like, our relationship with Him is so important that He's giving us these tools that when we start memorizing, they start seeping into our hearts, and then they become ours. And then we start thinking those things after Him. Um, Because... It's much more about friendship with him than anything else. So like I said earlier, like when you're when you're relating to children or your spouse or to family or to a friend, you're not going to come and say like, oh well, you have blonde hair and blue eyes, and I know all these facts about you. That's not really knowing them. Like it's actually them giving themselves to you, and likewise you giving yourself to them, and it's this intimate knowledge. That goes beyond just facts or even beyond just experience. Um, and, and the same thing is true with our worship. Um, if we're constantly thinking about having to think about how to do something new all the time and we're thinking about the mechanics of like singing the song all the time, we're not thinking about God in those moments. Um, we're thinking about how to do it. But once those things become habit, and we know that we know that hymn, and we have that song, that hymn that we just love, and, it, and we we can just like let go, and we can just really worship and meditate on God. It's because we have memorized it and we put in all those hours. Does that make sense? Good question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is that is that including like the wrathful consuming fire? God. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all those things are are secondary things born out of His holy love. Okay. Um, his holy love is something that's it's never keeping us where we are, but it's constantly opening us up and changing us by that, and and. His love is the ground for His justice because God is so full of love for who He is as three persons from eternity dwelling in those things and and, and His glory is in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Anything that is an attack against love ultimately can't abide in that. And so the same... When we say God is a consuming fire, the same love that melts us and transforms us into His image is the same thing that actually is His justice and and, and what hell actually is. Hell is God's consuming presence for people who don't believe. Um, and, and so His act as judge is like a good father who's, who's bringing justice against his fam- things that are, uh, evils that have been enacted upon his family. Does that make sense? Yeah. I've never heard anybody ever before say that hell is his presence, like outside of his acceptance. Yes, I think that. Like, yeah. I've always understood hell to be like eternal absence. Uh, yeah, I, I think Scripture speaks in many ways. Like some passages sound like it's his separation. But it's often separation from His life-giving goodness and love. Okay. It's out, it, when, when Scripture uses those passages, it often says the outer darkness. It says like where gnashing of teeth is. All those things were taken from images from outside of being in His temple, where God's holy presence is. So God is, is infinite and omnipotent, and He's everywhere and omniscient. And he's, so there's, there's no place that's created that He's not. And so because of that, um, that would make sense. When it, w- there are other passages like in Revelation that actually say that people will be tormented in, in hellfire before the presence and the wrath of the Lamb. So it speaks differently in different ways, sometimes as separation, sometimes as being in His wrathful presence. Um, and I think that's because for us, for, for Christians, His holy love will be our existence, and it won't be. We have nothing to fear from that. But for those who are outside of His saving grace, it, His love is very His is wrath. I hope that makes sense. Um, good questions. Uh, I oh, okay. So there's scripture that that like speaks of, of natural revelation, right? Versus yep. Yeah. And at one point you you said, uh, we wouldn't have known this God naturally if Christ had intruded in in our lives. Right. And I understand that to be true. But but Scripture also says, like, people don't have any excuse because natural revelation is existing in God's glory and Mm -hmm. they still reject it. right? Right. So, how does that come together? Yeah. Yeah. So I would say that natural revelation, um, does reveal the the triune God, and and God is holy in our consciences, um, but the only thing that is revealed in that is law. God's goodness, His attributes, His perfection, what what, what is actually required of us as human beings before Him, that that He deserves our worship, all the Ten Commandments, All of those things are revealed in nature. But the Gospel, specifically that Jesus is the Son of God who died for us to fulfill the law, that can only be heralded. That can only be something that's actually given through special revelation. So, we know the law by nature, but because of our sinfulness, we're constantly... Um, so, if we think of it like, you know, God's creative act and His energy in creating the world and creating us, so we say God is like when He speaks all things into existence, and His glory is being seen in all these things that He's created. His glory is shining through them, and we're confusing the action of God, the creation, and all the things He's doing for God Himself. And so we we give His glory to, to as Romans one talks about like to, to creatures and to humans and to animals and to, to moving things, we 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 can't even know the law perfectly. So when we think of God, and know God, we see His glory, and but we're constantly taking that and making idols out of it. So because of sinfulness, our sinfulness, we can't know the true God as He as He is. And so we need the gospel to not only clarify the law, but then declare the gospel to us for the first time. So everyone, everyone goes around with God consciousness within themselves, and they know the law. They know they deserve judgment, but we're also idol factories. So, yes. You did. That's so cool. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, and so now because we know Jesus, we can look at the grand candy and say that this is this is the handiwork of God, right? See how beautiful it is, and see what God had created, and that's awesome. <laughs> good question. Good good comment. Thank you. Um, so, really quickly, we'll move on to what it means for God to be in heaven. So, um, so, a lot of Christianity, a lot of the Christian faith is often holding together these things that seem like mysteries. So God is, as we were saying, deeply intimate with us when He says that He's our Father. And He's actually closer to us than our biological parents. And He's more near to us than those things. But at the same time, He's so utterly transcendent. So we see all those things that that seem like disconnects in our minds because God is so transcendent. Um, But in heaven breaks us out of this idea that we can in some sense control God that we can domesticate Him or make Him completely like us. Um, As we referenced before, in Hebrews 12, it says that you have not come to something that can be touched, a blazing fire and a darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words may the hearers beg that not another word be spoken to them. So that's Mount Sinai. God's majesty and glory coming in the law in fury in the presence of sinners. Uh, our God is a consuming fire. So we pray to God in heaven as a reminder in part that that this struggle by praying this prayer, that Jesus is not merely personal, but it's also he's also transcendent. and that what we do when praying to this God is a cosmic thing. As we were saying before, the communal nature of our prayer, it's not just us by ourselves. But it's also this great cosmic thing that's happening. God is the ruler of the cosmos, he's the one who speaks in the earthquake and the wind and the fire. And in many ways this is actually a great comfort to us because any less God wouldn't do us any good. Um, A God who we can actually who is utterly like us can't actually help us. We need someone who's going to actually be able to save us from the fire and not just like hold our hand in a burning building. We need an ultimately transcendent God who can be good for the poorest of the poor and the sickest of the sick, the most desperate of the desperate. And that's because we see that our problem isn't merely people just doing bad things. That evil isn't just nasty little things that we do to each other. But evil in this world transcends our politics and our charity and our activism and the things that we do in this world. Evil is organized, massive, subtle, deep, and cosmic. And we need a God who, can, who actually can overcome all those things, which is why we say that He's in heaven. For our, our struggle, Paul says, is not against enemies that are blood and flesh but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So if Jesus is no more than just a moral example for us, a wise teacher who gives us inner enlightenment and peace and ethics, or just a sympathetic friend, then really there's no reason to pray at all. Um, If God isn't transcendent and sovereign then there's no reason to pray. I think it was J.I. Packer who said that at the end of the day, everyone's a Calvinist when they pray. Um, No one will will actually need the God of Arminianism. Um, A God who, who can't do anything to save us is not worth praying to. We pray because we know God can change things. We pray because we know that we need... Someone who's so much greater than our will. If our wills can throw God off, then why worry about any of this stuff at the end of the day? If God can't act when we pray, then our prayer is just self-help therapy. And and God is not up to the challenge. Um, And the, the little gods that we imagine... And those little gods that are just like us, that are manageable, that we can put into boxes of our experience, or even, even facts and doctrines. If, if, if God isn't bigger than all those things, then He's no match for the big problems that we actually face. Um, but because God is the one who's transcendent, He's in heaven. He's above every evil in this world. He is the one who rules, and he can actually do something about it. So, we, we need to hold those two things together. That we need a really intimate God, but one who's also transcendent and majestic and glorious. And when we say that he's in heaven, we're also saying that our God, in some sense, can be located. That he has an address, as it were. He's not everywhere in the same exact place at all times. Um, He is everywhere, as we're saying, that He is omnipresent and He's sovereign. But He's not everywhere in His saving grace. There's an address that we often see throughout the Bible. Um, He's with Abraham going through those animal halves in a dream. He's He's with a covenant in Israel... He's with the law given at, with Moses at Mount Sinai. He's with King David and the prophets and the temple. And then he's most supremely in Jesus of Nazareth. That, that is, in many ways, where God has located himself in saving grace in a unique way. And then Jesus gives his special revelation the Gospel, this new message that we can't know through his Apostles through His Word. Is that my Bible? Over there. Um, he's given to us uniquely in our baptism and in, in, in the Lord's Supper. So heaven is, in many ways, that name of what God is doing and what He is bringing into our world through these things. That our kingdoms, our, our world, is constantly being threatened by God's kingdom. And it's breaking in all over wherever those things are happening. Wherever we're praying this prayer, God's kingdom is breaking in. Wherever we're living as friends with God and with sinners, God's kingdom is breaking in. It's constantly intruding and disrupting our lives. Um, If God in heaven isn't radically disrupting our lives on earth, then we can start saying Is something wrong. Like if God is just nicely cornered off and He's just not really doing anything and He's not really speaking into our lives and disrupting our plans, our vision of happiness, then we really should question and stop for a second. Are we really communing with this God? Is He just been cornered off into our lives, safely packaged away? Or is He... Intimate. Is he having that intimate relationship with us and disrupting our happiness for his goals for our life? So when we pray that he's in heaven, we're saying that this God can't be domesticated. He can't be brought down to our level. We can't use him for our plans and our plots. But he's turning those things all upside on their head. He's not going to leave us as we are. Um, that Jesus is constantly coming in and intruding into our kingdoms, and he doesn't want us to have a comfortable Christianity. He doesn't want us to have this place where we can just sit on our hands and just be happy with how things are. Um, God is not tame. Just like our children and our friends and our spouses and our neighbors can't be in any ways tamed by our knowledge of them, by just knowing these facts. You know, it's like, no, it's like these, everyone around us are radically different people, and we can't just put them into preconceived notions of who they are. They're radically changing all the time. We're constantly having to know and rediscover our friends and family. Um, they're growing up and they're becoming different people. How much more is that true for God? You know, like we can't confine Him and have user-friendly kind of church, user-friendly kind of Christianity. Um, that God is is someone that we can be easily bored of if He's just, you know, left to our own thoughts and devices That God really isn't worthy of prayer. That God isn't really worthy of our worship. And, and we'll get bored of him. Like, but, but the God who is wild and free, and you know, as, as C.S. Lewis says, he's not a tame lion, but he's good. That is the actual God that we need. The transcendent one who can actually, because he's so different, he's so other, he can actually change us. So, even though God, you know, He's, because of the gospel, He's very much intruding into our lives and He's coming to us as broken sinners, as a friend of tax collectors and sinners, as we said, He isn't interested in leaving us there. Um, No, He's actually constantly killing the old man and raising us up to newness of life. this father who is in heaven isn't cozy and comfy in the sense that we can just, you know, treat him like maybe he's just like a bro or something who we don't really care about what he thinks. He's not that kind of friend. He is intimate with us and has that friendship, but he's bringing us places. He's bringing us on this journey. Um, and we can't confuse. The, the need and the, and the good desire to be authentic and vulnerable with God just leaving us where we are. It's good to be vulnerable and broken and, and, and have authentic, authenticity with God, but He's ultimately not interested in just keeping us how we are and patting us around. He's actually going to kill the old man and Adam, pull that rug out of the feet, and He's going to try to bring us to heaven. He's, he's bringing us on this journey in Christ and raising us to newness of life. Um, It looks like we're running out of time for the day. Um, So when we say that Jesus is in heaven, that God is in heaven, we're ultimately saying that He can see the whole picture. He is so transcendent above things that He doesn't get caught up and overcome by the evil of this world. And his vision isn't myopic like ours. Uh, That we oftentimes can't see anything beyond our own vision. Like how hard is it from day to day to see the next day? I was just waking up this morning and I was just like, I can't even see beyond the next hour, Lord. Like I can't do it. And like, isn't that how life is? Like I can't see how I'm going to have the strength to get on tomorrow. And, And Jesus is giving us this prayer because he's saying it's okay. God is in heaven. He doesn't have that problem. He doesn't have that nearsightedness that we have. He is in heaven, and he looks down. And he sees all of humankind, and he's enthroned and he watches all the inhabitants of the earth. You know, and and that's, and that's the good thing. That's so comforting. Um, just like children need parents, who can actually transcend their kids' problems. And they actually have wisdom and all these years in history to see what they can't see. They they oftentimes just want to have fun in this moment. And they can't deny themselves. And they have to learn that self-denial. Just like that, God is so much more of our Father who can see beyond everything that's in front of us. God is there full-time in heaven and this is His full-time job. He's... He's making a way for us where we can't see. He's intruding into our lives where we can't see it. And He's bringing us into glory, into heaven. Um, And so we can faithfully bring these prayers to Him because we know we have someone who is so intimate with us, with Jesus, and yet He's also transcendent, way above us, and He can actually change things. And that's all the time we have for today. Any questions before we close in prayer? Any thoughts? Well, let's uh, close in a word of prayer then. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day and thank You for this time where we can meditate on what it means to be friends with God and how really, Lord, at the end of the day, that is the whole point of Christianity, of this whole thing, this religion that we're a part of. All the things we do is to grow into that intimacy and communion and fellowship with You. And to ultimately, because of that, we can go out and bear fruit, as Jesus said. Because we are in communion with You. Because You are in heaven, You can change things. You can save us and bring us into that friendship. So we thank You for that, and we ask that You prepare our hearts for worship. In Your Son's name we ask. Amen.